You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Philippians 4, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 11 through 13 today in that section, but as a whole, really verses 10 through 20. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll read. I'll start at uh, Philippians 4, verse 10, as you're on your way there. I've got a picture from last week, had a couple of them turned in. I, I stretched this out a bit to fit our picture, but this is from Malachi last week. And uh, appreciate Malachi reminding us, this is where we were at. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, right, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. And we talked about Jesus as the, the ultimate one, the ultimate excellent praiseworthy one. And we talked about our, our thoughts as well. And appreciate you guys pointing that out and seeing that in your minds. Invite you kids along today as well to draw, draw and think and take notes and adults as well uh, as we look at, at this again. So let's look at God's word first. Let's let his word speak So I'll start in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray once again. Lord, as we come to your word, Lord, we want to acknowledge your glory. As we sang this morning, how majestic is your name. We read that that from your scriptures and we sang about you creating the heavens. You know the stars by name. You are an infinite, all-powerful God, incomparable. No one can compare to who you are. And yet, in your grace, you give us your word, and you give us the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may come before you reconciled by his blood, washed clean, to live with you forever. Lord, as we live here in this time before we go to glory, either by death or your, your return, Lord, lead us to understand what you've written in these, in these verses before us, that they would impact our lives, that we would live for your glory. 
in every circumstance, every situation. So guide our time by your spirit again, Lord, we would ask in your name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I've called this, this series, if you see it in your bulletin or on the front, um, sometimes my names are better than others for series, but uh, over the next three weeks, we're looking at, I'm calling it Needs 101. Because really, in terms of our needs, N-E-E-D-S, in terms of our needs, we are going back to school. So kids, you're already in school. This is just more school. And you said, yes, Pastor Mike, we love school. Right? So we're going back to school. This is a good class, though. Not because I'm writing it or teaching it, because of what the Word of God says. Our professor is the Apostle Paul. He's already taken the course. He's already done some learning on these matters, and so we're going to learn from him. As Christians, I mean, shouldn't we really have our doctorate uh, in, in needs in that area? We, we have the abundance of Scripture before us that, that tells us about the one who meets all our needs. Well, as we come to verses 10 through 20 here over the next three weeks, maybe we'll, we'll shoot towards a bachelor's or a master's degree here on needs, to understand needs. And I think we're going to learn, hopefully, three lessons from this text. I've divided up in, in three ways here. The first, we're kind of diving in a little bit past verse 10 and verses 11 through 13. That lesson of being content in every circumstance. Contentment, it's connection with needs, kind of that baseline contentedness. Then next week, we're going to back up. We'll look at verse 10, and I think there's a connection to verses 14 through 18 and that of having concern for others. So we're content, our needs are met, but then how do we meet needs of others? Having concern for others. That's really the context of this section. It's not just be content, do all things through Christ, those sorts of things. It's really Paul's kind of talking about the Philippians, they've been concerned for Paul, and they're going to demonstrate it through their gifts, meeting his needs. And, and Paul's grateful, yet as we're going to see, he, he doesn't insist on the gift. He, he's content, whatever the circumstance. But he is, he is joyful that they are concerned. And so we're going to look at that, having concern for others. And then finally, Lord willing, we'll look at the last two verses, 19 through 20, kind of just sum it up, God's rich supply for our every need through Christ. So we'll look at his rich supply as we finish that up. So head to the classroom with me today. We're going to start at verse 11. And as I say that, let me just back us up. Let's just read verse 10 before we get there. Here's how Paul starts it. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Again, so this said, sets up the broader context for Paul. The church at Philippi, they've, they've renewed their concern for Paul. He's rejoicing in this. You know, we see that again, rejoicing. We're going to look at that more next week. But by the time we get to verse 11, Paul kind of takes an aside. This is not uncommon to Paul to sort of take a, take a rabbit trail. It's a good one, but he's like, I'm glad you sent this. You revive your concern. Not that I need. And then we're going to go into what we're going to look at today, this verse 11. And he's going to state a truth here. 
kind of, yes, I'm glad, but let me just say this. So let's hear what he says. So verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. So I'm glad you've arrived your concern. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So even though Paul rejoices in their renewed concern, they've sent him gifts from Epaphroditus, He wants to be clear that, in fact, he is not rejoicing because somehow he was in need. So is Paul just kind of ungrateful here for their gift? He's saying, yeah, I appreciate your thought of me. I don't really need your gift. I don't think he's saying that, but I think he's speaking of need in terms of being dependent, contentment-wise, on their gifts. Is he dependent on their gifts? It doesn't seem so. He's content. Does Paul have? Does he have physical needs like anyone else? Yeah, absolutely. But for Paul, his contentment is not based on getting their gift. He's glad for it. And more rightly, he's really glad that they gave the gift. But he's teaching him his, connect, his contentment is not founded on the gift, on getting that. And it's actually something he's learned. Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Does it seem odd? I mean, maybe it's encouraging to us that the apostle, this is the one in whom the Philippians are to learn from. We saw that in verse 9, what you have learned from me. Paul himself is the one learning. He has learned something. And it's emphasized here. It's really literally saying, I, I have learned. There's emphasis here. He learns. He's trained by his situations. And that training equals learning to be content. And the proof of that, at least in part, is this book. What he's already written is the proof. Paul, remember we looked, I mean, months ago, right? He's content to be in jail. He's okay with that. Paul and Silas, was it? Remember in Acts 16, they're they're singing in jail. He lives this out. He's not just saying something. This is his life. So he's content to be in jail. He's content to have enemies preaching the gospel as long as the gospel's going forward. He's content to live. He's content to die, to suffer for Christ. So whatever, whenever, however, Paul's gone to school regarding needs. He's learned how to be content in the midst of them. My favorite dictionary is Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Back, right, when... When you could use the Bible to help explain things. Here's how Webster defines what it means to be content. There's a couple of them I picked as a noun here, what it means. Here's what Webster says. Rest, what does it mean to be content? Rest or quietness of the mind in the present condition. Satisfaction which holds the mind in peace. Restraining complaint, opposition, or further desire, and often implying a moderate degree of happiness. Interestingly, as you read through the list of definitions, this shows up in geometry as well. If you're in geometry class, um, there's also a definition. I think it's content, not said content, but content. But here's the definition of geometry. The area or quantity of matter or space included in certain lines. And then elsewhere, there's this idea of being contained within the limits, content. You know, 
What's the content of your, of your teaching? Well, it's these limits. It's from this page to this page. This is the, the content, that kind of idea. So hold on to that thought for a bit. Now, another, another one studying this word, this Gerhard Kittel, he comments on different ways even non-Christians or Christians look at contentment. So Christians aren't the only one to consider being content. One way he calls it, he calls it the prudent suppression of passion and desire. Kind of that, I've got these desires for more, I'm just going to suppress them. I'll just put them down. That's the suppression of them. But there's another way he talks about, some in philosophy and some in the New Testament. He says this, another way is to have the freedom from want of the philosopher to whom external goods are incidental. And then he says this, I found it interesting. For the New Testament, this freedom from want is grounded in God. His provision is sufficient. You ever thought about freedom in terms of contentment? The freedom contentment brings? Rather than being a slave to to once, and all the once, and there's, there's millions of them, Contentment relies on God's provisions no matter the place or circumstance. In a way, it frees us to be joyful. I've got a pretty weak illustration, but I want to try it on you. Baskin Robbins. I don't know if we have any of those around here. Baskin Robbins. Somehow mine always go to food. Kids, you can draw an ice cream cone. Baskin Robbins is at 32 flavors, right? 32 flavors, it's in the name. They've got 32 flavors of ice cream. Uh, how do you pick those? What do I want? 32. You, you, you've created it. There's a whole list. It looks like freedom, like I get to choose 32, but now you're kind of in bondage because I've got to choose all these, and it's just, it's harder, okay? Imagine... Just imagine with me, all right? Hang in there on this one, that there's just one flavor. So out of these 32, there's one. And somehow God picks that particular one, and it's the best flavor there is. And God picked it for you. It, would you consider that slavery or freedom or joy? I think lacking contentment, we think we want the freedom to choose any and all things that make us happy, right? I should get to choose where I live. I mean, you think of that. Should I live at the ocean? What about, but then there's the mountains. Well, there's lakes, and there's this lake, or there's that lake, or there's this coast, or that coast, or this place, or this house, and there's just choosing upon choosing. Maybe we want freedom to choose my relationships. This one is a little too much. I don't want that one. She's too much this. He's too much that. I just, I want, I, I, I'm just going to all these 32 flavors I'm going to pick. Here's what I want. And picking them can be a burden. Christian contentment is truly freedom to enjoy exactly what God has given in that particular situation. I think the bondage comes when our happiness and joy is enslaved to our circumstances. Well, if I lived here, it'd be better. So-and-so was this way, be better. They were here, they were not here. This happened, this job, so on and so forth. Christ frees us to enjoy all things, whether having little or much in terms of the content here of this 
passage because our ultimate spiritual needs are met in Him. And He gives us strength in the very place, that certain flavor of ice cream, the very place you are, He gives us the strength in that place that He's put us. In that particular relationship, the particular situation, the geographic location where you live. All these places, whatever situation, Admonition here, rejoice in the flavor God has chosen for you. Do you believe He's a good God? He's got you right where He knows you should be. doesn't mean it's like awesome ocean view, right? It's this is the place. But we're just, we're just so bound to it. But, but I want that and this. And, and we go off track. Well, Paul goes on, verse 12, to give us the details on this, this range of, of what he's learned, the range. Verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see the beginning of this verse? Paul says twice, I know how, I know how. Right? We've come into the classroom of the teacher once again. How? He's answering that question. Paul, Paul how can you be content? You, you don't need anything? Whatever situation? You mean in prison? Anywhere? You're just content? Verse 13 is going to ultimately answer this, but just look again at the range here. It starts with a, a lowness. The ESV says brought low or humility. One lexicon says to live like poor people. But then the range, interestingly, goes from lowliness to the other side of being rich and abounding, which makes us ask the question then, well, what contentment issues do the rich have? Those in abundance, you mean they have to learn to be content? That's a great question. Here's how Walter Hansen, he quotes uh, a bit from someone else, Plutarch, I think, in this answer, but he says this. Look at that rich, how are they content? He says, the owner of five couches goes looking for ten. The owner of ten tables buys up as many again. And though he has lands and money in plenty, is not satisfied but bent on more, losing sleep and never sated with any amount. And then Hansen writes, in the light of this, Natural propensity to covet more, even in prosperity. Paul's contentment in a time and place of abundance is a rare virtue. Those who are rich have the means for more, right? To buy more. I don't like the flavor of this ice cream. I've got money to get this cone. And this one, and I, and this, and the, the, and we're back to the issue of contentment once again, and the temptation to seek what money can buy rather than seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. So contentment is needed. It doesn't get easier as money comes. It's the same. It's across the board. Here again in this verse, Paul has learned something. Learned something. It's a little different Greek word. But it's that something you you see it in the ESV. I have learned the secret. You see that? I've learned the secret, facing plenty, hunger, abundance, need. My study on this this word, one resource points out, it would seem the, the secret and mystery of learning 
is interesting. It's not so secretive. It comes amidst the everyday events of every believer in Christ. It's not a secret room somewhere. You're in the class right now learning the secret. But, but the secret is not the event or circumstance itself. They're the means to learn the secret. And verse 13 is going to answer what the secret to Paul's living is. But before we get there, one final thought on verse 12. And it's this. Again, Walter Hansen comments here. Since physical pain is inherent in these experiences of hunger and need, this is important. Contentment does not mean the absence of pain. Paul did not seek to be apathetic, unfeeling as the Stoics did. He felt the discomfort of hunger and the deprivation of poverty. He did not learn the secret of being content by becoming indifferent to difficult conditions and detached from abrasive circumstances. Contrary to the philosophy of the Stoics, Paul did not seek to live by reason in order to be anesthetized to physical and emotional pain. He freely relates his tears, chapter 3, verse 18, and his great joy, verse 10, chapter 4 here. He was passionately involved in pouring out his life as a sacrifice for others, as a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul's contentment, and this is his last sentence, Paul's contentment in any and every situation flows out of his life in Christ. Do you hear that in this quote? Contentment is not the absence of pain but the result of life in Christ. So now, look at verse 13. You can almost all close your Bibles and say it with me, right? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Him who strengthens me. Let me just first say here, textually, some of your translations may have Christ's name. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you have just the the pronoun Him. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Kind of deals with the original, the Greek, the manuscripts that are there. Many of them don't have the word Christ. Some do. If you've got Him there, and you're a student of the book of Philippians, it is not hard at all, right, to fill in the blank. Paul, I wonder who the him is you have in mind. Has he not throughout the book said, Christ, Jesus, Christ is my life, over and over and over again, that we can fill in the antecedent as Christ. And it's seen elsewhere, Ephesians 6.10, 1 Timothy 1.12. You know, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Pointing to Christ. Even in the context, we could insert Christ here for him. If you look at verse 19, right? God supplies our needs through the riches, uh, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, perhaps by now, as as we've worked through this up to verse 13, you got an idea of the context of this most famous verse. Right, that, that most of you know this verse. You've heard it over and over. There's mugs and paintings and all sorts of things. The context here is Paul explaining contentment in any and every circumstance. And this verse here is this, the, the climax, kind of that answer. Paul, what secret? You've learned. What secret have you learned, Paul? 
He's learned that when he faces, he's learned at facing plenty or hunger or lowness, lowliness and abundance. It's through Christ who strengthens him. Now, one writer wrote an article, Nathan Boosnitz, he warns us of taking this verse out of context. He might step on some toes because that's what happens when we, when we study verses that we've known and, and we've, we've understood them and the, the truths are still there. So hear that before I say, quote him. But listen to how he, what he warns of taking this verse out of context. He says, out of context. You know what, what I'm saying, context? In the area. We, we don't just take the verse on its own and pull it out and say, here's all. It's within a paragraph, well, sentence, paragraph, book, all those sorts of things. Okay? He says, out of context, the all things, okay, I can do all things. Out of context, the all things, things seems like it could refer to whatever someone might want to accomplish from winning a football game to losing weight, to getting a new job, to gaining material wealth. Out of context, it is often treated like a spiritual boost of self-confidence that can be applied to any ambition or aspiration in life. He says this, Philippians 4.13 is used as a blank check promise for whatever is desired. Here's what he says, catch this, but in context... It is a verse about contentment. It's not about your dreams coming true or your goals being met. Rather, it's about satisfied and steadfast even when life is hard and your circumstances seem impossible. Now, does this mean... In anything else, you're just on your own. The verse you thought, well, I thought he gives me strength and we're just on on our own. No, we're going to see from Hebrews, God is with us. Is he with you when you play football and when you desire to lose weight and everything else? Yes. And call on God for strength, to glorify him in what we're doing and, and to be content though, no matter the outcome. But doing things by Christ's power and strength does not always mean they're going to go well. And that's the context, right? I can do all things through Christ. That means I might get hungry. I might have abundance. I might be brought low. I might be brought high. I might face this or that. Suffering, disappointment, lowliness, hardship may may ensue. Hunger pains are real. Yet Paul's secret is enduring with the strength Christ provides. So question, how, how does Christ strengthen us to be content in whatever situation? We're gonna, I'm going to hold off with a, a big answer to that as, towards verse 19. Because they're, they're similar, connected. We're going to get there as we look at that. But for now, what can we do? Just simply rest. Right? That's part of contentment according to Webster, 1828. Rest. Rest in the promise of God that whether you be hungry or full or rich or poor, you have all you need in Christ for what? To live in the place and situation and circumstance God has placed you now, today. 
It's your own classroom. What feels like you're boxed in, you're enslaved by your current situation, let's put on some new glasses and see it as the field in which God is teaching you contentment. Lord, I want to grow in the Lord, but not this way, right? This is his classroom. Whatever's, whatever you can fill in the blank, this, I'm not content. I'm, I don't like this. I mean, fill in the blank. God's placed you in that classroom, classroom all your own, to show you who is the one who really meets your needs. It's not the government. Kids, it's not your parents. Parents, it's not your kids. It's not your wealth. It's not your job. Christ alone meets our needs and enables us by His power to live in whatever situation we are in. I mentioned Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 through 6 says this. Similar. Same word, contentment, really same root. Keep your life free, the writer says, from love of money and be content with what you have. So here we're thinking monetarily. I'm applying this kind of broadly in life, contentment. He says, be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Contentment comes through Christ, not circumstances. Think of that, the, the, the God we sang about this morning, the Lord of glory, who laid the foundation of this whole earth, who sets the heavens and the skies, and you see them on a clear night, and he names the stars by name, and they, they are a witness to his workmanship and his glory, and the, the galaxies beyond of his glory upon glory. He rules the wind and the rain and the sunshine and the clouds. His throne is eternal. This Lord of glory is your helper. And he's the one who says to you, I will never leave you, your brother or sister in Christ, nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for where we've strayed to find our rest and our peace and our joy in a million other flavors that you have not chosen for us. The house we live in is where you've put us. The job we have, as long as you have us there, is where you want us to be. The spouse you've given us it's your provision. The kids, our kids, they're your. They're your gift to us. The parents you've given us are our parents. They're your gift to us. The money we have, the money we don't have, the things we don't have, the things we have in abundance are by your hand. So Lord, guide us to look to you alone. Lord, may we resist the temptation to go off seeking to fill our wants with this world and not living by your strength. And Lord, we would pray as you, we would pray your promise. You've promised to strengthen us in hunger, in need, in lowliness, in abundance, 
in plenty. So Lord, strengthen us today. Lord, where there are people here in hard situations saying, you mean be content in my situation? Strengthen them today, Lord. May they get a glimpse and eyes of the classroom that you're leading them back to bring yourself glory. Strengthen each one of us that our boast, again, would be in Christ, our wisdom, our righteousness from God. Our boast would not be who we are or what we have, but in you alone. Pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.